Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, on this day, I pray that our hearts would be set on you. I pray that you would send your spirit and draw us close. Amen. Our gospel reading this morning is one of those very familiar passages. Who has not heard the words, he who would come after me must take up his cross? In fact, the phrase bearing my cross has become a metaphor that you don't have to be a Christian to use. But sometimes in those very familiar passages, we actually lose track of what the disciples would have actually heard and understood. And this is one of those passages that's worth hesitating on for just a moment. Jesus predicts his death here. And now very literally, he looks at his followers and he says, if you are going to stick with me, you are going to have to face the potential of death. This is no metaphor. I'm bearing my cross today. This is quite literal. He's acknowledged to them that he is God's anointed one, the Messiah. He's acknowledged to them that the promised kingdom is coming. He's been saying this over and over. But now he tells them to get to that place, the kingdom of God on earth, I have to be martyred first. And he looks at his followers and he actually says to them point blank, you need to be ready for this potential as well. When we think about it and we imagine ourselves in that position, our leader saying the kingdom is coming, I am the king, but I'm going to be martyred on the way to that throne, it actually begins to make a lot of sense that Peter picks up a sword in the Garden of Gethsemane. It makes, a sen makes sense that he actually denies Jesus. Jesus has said to him point blank, you need to be ready for death if you're going to follow me. And Peter at this moment is not yet ready to follow like that. Thankfully, that changes in him. But initially, the cost seems too high. The other warning that Jesus offers his disciples in this moment, the warning that if you try to save your life, you will lose it. We see this also come true in a very literal sense in Judas. He looks at the cost of this kingdom, potential martyrdom. We don't know why he denies Jesus, betrays Jesus, runs in the end. But it makes a great deal of sense that he says, nearing the end, feeling the finality of what's ahead, that cost is too high. And I'm going to get out and preserve myself while I still can. But of course, that attempt to preserve his own life cost him his life in the end. My point about this passage is that the disciples would not have heard a polite metaphor, I'm bearing my cross, meaning it's been a kind of rough day or a rough week. They would have had a very literal challenge thrust in their face. The next verse, the one that's not in our reading, actually makes it quite clear. Jesus looked at them and said, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. He's looked at his disciples and he said, God's kingdom is coming. 
I am indeed the anointed king. But first, I have to be rejected and killed by your leaders. And then he looks at them and he says, if you're willing to stick with me, if you're willing to actually face death with me, I won't be ashamed of you in that kingdom. But if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. You'll be cut off. Again, it's much sterner, is it not, than the polite metaphor, I'm bearing my cross. It's a very literal, in-your-face, hard-to-hear warning, the potential of what lies ahead. What the disciples heard, this very literal warning, what the disciples heard is very unlikely, and thankfully, thankfully, is very unlikely to come true for us. It did come true for them. Within 40 years of Jesus' warning, all of them but one, we believe, were actually martyred. It's come true for thousands of others, millions of others over the scope of human history. I think of men like Jim Elliot who loved this passage, who faced death for the gospel of Christ. I think of the church in Nigeria, which right now is being ravaged. It has come true for so many others. This very literal warning, if you stick with me, you have to be ready for the potential of death. Thankfully, again, thankfully, we're unlikely to bear a cross in that very literal and physical sense. But we still need this passage. We still need to listen to it. We still need to hear it. The principle behind it still applies. This challenge, this warning, this call is just as true for us as it is for those who faced a literal death. Let me explain. Behind Jesus' challenge, there is this sort of twofold reality, this twofold principle undergirding it. The first, per- the for- <laughs> excuse me, the first portion of what he says rests upon this deep truth. And the deep truth is this. There is only one source of life. There is only one source of life. And that is Jesus Christ. We need to hear this. We need to hear this because we, even those of us who know the Lord, are constantly seeking life in so many other places. From the foulest sin that we commit to our desperate attempts to make ourselves holy and righteous enough for God, we are constantly seeking life in other places. G.K. Chesterton supposedly said that every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for Christ. We seek it in our sin. There is a story that I was reminded of this week. It may be apocryphal, but supposedly St. Benedict, the founder of monasticism, encountered a hermit in the mountains of Italy, and he found this man chained to a rock. He had chained himself to a rock in a desperate attempt to be holy. My guess is some of y'all can identify with that. In order to be sin-free, I'm going to have to cut myself off from everything because I can't do anything without sinning. But that misguided hermit chained to the rock was also desperately seeking life. We seek it in our sin. We seek it in our desperate attempts to be holy. I don't care whether we're talking about the explorer looking for gold in the fountain of youth to the modern celebrity who has it all. I don't care whether we're talking about the average American man or woman or student or somebody in another nation 
We're constantly seeking life. We seek it everywhere we go, in our free time, in our purchases, in our work. It's revealed in what frightens us and frustrates us. It's revealed in what makes us anxious. We're desperate for life. You could say that we are the only species that is not content with just having enough to eat and adequate shelter and a mate and offspring. Every other species seems to be content with that, but we're always hungry for something more. It's called different things in different cultures, honor. The right to express ourselves, satisfaction, pleasure, power. We want something deep that we can cling to. My point, very simply, is it's life itself that we're actually offer. And we're seeking it over and over in so many places. It drives our sinful choices. It dr- drives our desire for pleasure itself. It drives our attempts to be good enough to get life under control. But Jesus' warning needs to be heard. Because embedded in it is the truth. There is no life other than in Jesus Christ. It's the only place where it gets found. The other side of this warning that he offers is very simply the reality that we cannot receive life from Jesus Christ and at the same time hold on to our other attempts. This is a stern warning to us. It's the other half of what lies behind what he says when he says, if you seek to save your life, you'll lose it. You can't hang on to your own desperate attempts to find life and also receive the life that Jesus offers. It's exactly what we try to do. I mean, sometimes we're just hedging our bets. What if Jesus doesn't come through? Now, we don't think that consciously, but that's what we're doing in practice, hedging our bets. Sometimes it's because we don't actually believe. This life that Jesus offers seems so far-fetched, and it would be much more concrete to just get what I can get here and now. Sometimes it's because the life that Jesus offers seems unattractive to us. We would rather the one that we can acquire by the strength of our own arm, by our own knowledge, by our own efforts. Sometimes it's because we're confused like that poor hermit. If I make myself sin-free, if I do everything right, then God has to give me his life. We're confused, seeking it in all the wrong ways. We oftentimes want the life of Jesus but keep holding on to our own attempts to find life. But Jesus' warning is clear. Life is offered. Life is offered. But the only way to receive it is to despair of your own attempts to get it yourself. In other words, to deny yourself. This is what he says, to deny yourself. Is an aside I need to say out loud and clearly that it's not that many of the things that we do to seek to secure and save and find our own life, it's not that many of those things are wrong. I mean, sin accepted, almost all of those things are gifts of God. They're blessings given to us. The things that we enjoy, food, our hobbies, the work that we have to do, sin accepted, these things are gifts from God. Jesus didn't deny himself those things. In fact, he got accused of being a glutton and a drunkard because he had so much fun eating with people. 
He didn't deny himself those things. Those things aren't inherently wrong. But my point is that when we pursue them for the wrong reasons, when we expect them to give us life, we end up turning what is a gift into a place of futility and death. When we look at them as if they could provide what they could never provide, we end up turning them into something that at best is futile and at worst will destroy us. If we could ever manage to look to Jesus Christ for life and to him alone, all of those things would become safe and free because they wouldn't be squeezing him out of his place. We wouldn't be turning them into idols. In this passage, Jesus is calling us to actually despair of finding or securing our own life. He's calling us to self-denial, to actually stop trying to acquire our life ourselves. This self-denial is not a self-hatred. Don't get confused. It's not self-hatred or self-loathing. It's very simply the willingness to stop playing your own master. Stop pretending like it's yours to control. In the words of this passage, he's saying very simply, quit trying to save your own life and just follow me. Just follow me. In other words, he's calling us to dependence. He's calling us to quit playing God of our own lives. We discover amazingly, and this is the promise that's embedded in this, that at the point of dependence, when we actually relinquish our attempt to be God, at that point we discover something that we've never managed to acquire for ourselves, that life that we've been so desperate for. I'm reminded because I was thinking about Jim Elliott before of his paraphrase of this passage. And most of y'all have heard this and you've probably heard me say it. But this man who is willing to say, I'm not going to be master. I'll follow the Lord wherever he goes and expect that he will give me life even as I let go of all of my own attempts. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Again, when we stop trying to be master, finding and securing life ourselves, when we actually become dependent, full of faith, we find that thing that we've never managed to acquire for ourselves. This was actually the way that it was all meant to be. We were created to be perpetually receiving life from God. We were created to be dependent on him. We were created to be freely receiving it from him and offering it to others. We weren't created to be independent. We weren't created to find, to secure, to save our own lives. We weren't created with that power, which is why when we take the power of God in our hands and desperately try to do it, we fail over and over. How many of you, of your own efforts, have gotten enough? Have gotten enough? How many of you have controlled it perfectly? How many of you have got life to work in every facet for yourself? We weren't created with that power. We were created to be dependent. God's intent for us was to discover that in freely depending on him, we would receive life. 
than turning to him and say, I'm not Lord and Master. We would get more than we could ever imagine. And all the other things would come in as blessings because we weren't turning them into sources of life. All the other things that we misuse because we try to make them give us life become joys and blessings when the burden is not on their shoulders of being God, in other words. In seeking our own sources of life, whether you're talking about trying to earn it through perfection or stealing it in sin, in seeking our own sources of life, we destroyed what God was trying to do. We lost everything. The gifts that he gave in that moment became idols, false fountains of life, idols that enslave and bring death. And Jesus' point is that the only way back is to deny yourself, to stop seeking life in any other source than Jesus Christ, to deny yourself, to depend on him and relinquish all of your attempts to be Lord and master over yourself. This isn't masochism. It's not self-hatred. Sometimes self-denial is talked about as if it's some sort of weird masochistic self-hatred, just trying to destroy yourself, run yourself down. It's not something weird and perverse like that. In fact, the witness of scriptures is that our furious independence, our desperate desire to acquire and attain life on our own terms, that it's just foolhardy and useless. The witness of scriptures is that what we are constantly doing is empty. We think that we are so sophisticated. I will be my own person. I will express myself. I will get what I want. And all we're doing is destroying ourselves. Listen to Jeremiah. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no waters. It's not masochism or self-loathing to stop trying to do the impossible. It's not masochism to say, I'm going to stop drinking from this fountain that's never managed to satisfy me anyways. I've attempted to control things perfectly so that I would be master of myself. It's not masochism to go, and that's never worked. So I'm going to stop trying. I'm going to turn to the only source of life instead. It's not masochism or self-loathing. It's actually wisdom. It's wisdom. It's glorious wisdom to realize that the life that God offers is something that we've never managed to secure for ourselves anyways. It takes humility. It takes humility. It does to look at the thing that we keep doing over and over and over and saying, I'll stop trying to be Lord because I've failed every time. It takes humility, but it's not self-hatred. It's wisdom. It's wisdom because the Lord is actually offering life. You see, that's what's the other thing that's behind this entire warning. The Lord is actually offering life to you. The Lord is offering life to me. 
The Lord is offering life to our community. God looks at us and he says, turn back. I would give my life to you. Jesus stood up at the day of the feast in the middle of Jerusalem and cried out, if anyone is thirsty, just come to me and drink. Out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. The offer is there over and over in the scriptures. Isaiah 55, Ho, oh, everyone who is thirsty, come to me. You who are hungry, come buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without costs. Why do you spend your labor for that which does not satisfy? Over and over the offer of the scriptures is the Lord saying to you, I would freely give you my life. I would freely give you my life. Just quit trying to be God yourself. Sometimes this will mean we have to give up something that's not inherently sinful, but has become sin for us because it's idolatrous. There's times and seasons when we have to deny ourselves in deep ways because that thing has become a God. But the things themselves, again, sin accepted, are not wrong. It's just that we misuse them. We place them in God's position. And the call to us is deny yourself. Follow me. And in that, we discover a life that we could never earn. So if you, like me, look at yourself and say, I need the life of God. I've never managed to find it myself, to acquire it by myself. I need his life. Turn with me in humility and repentance and say, Lord, help me stop pursuing these things that will never satisfy. Amen.